0: Let's be honest, there's going to be times when you're facing disappointment and you're not sure what to do, where to go, how to move forward. As we continue with the series, Where Do We Go From Here?, we're reminded that answers and direction can always be found in the Word of God. Let's jump in. So tonight, we're going to conclude our series entitled, Where Do We Go From Here?, We've covered quite a bit during this study, I think you would agree. Much of what spawned the whole question of where do we go from here is the fact that when we began this series, we did not have a pastor. We were believing God for a new pastor. We were believing God for a new facility. Well, praise God always. He is faithful and he 's blessed us with our new pastor, Pastor Kevin Adams and uh, our First Lady minister and lovely first lady Melody Adams and You know what i already I believe already our new facility. He knows exactly where it is, and he's going to point it out to us at the appointed time in Jesus' name. We just have to believe for that. So I'm convinced of that. Now, we've studied three specific areas so far. Each subject has been designed to push the envelope, so to speak, for each of us. The purpose of this series is to provide guidance on how we're to proceed to our desired destination, very similar to a road map or a GPS system. We started this series discussing the subject of wounded soldiers. How many remember that? Okay. We talked about the fact that many believers, figuratively speaking, are referred to as soldiers in God's army and are still walking around damaged, harmed, hurt, or injured. In other words, wounded. We learned that wounded soldiers cannot be as effective in ministering to others, especially unbelievers, if they're still hurting themselves. We were reminded of just how much God loves us and has provided for our every need. An assignment was given to eradicate any wounds that we've been dealing with and upon completion of the assignment, it allows a person to be free and become more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Now, part two of our study posed the question of where is the love? Now, Jesus commanded us to love one another. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, and we're gonna read this together. We're going to be reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. And when you get it, let me know that you have it by saying I have it. Okay. Ready? Read. We're going to start with the 12th verse. We're going to... 15th chapter, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17. So starting with the 12th verse, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit, should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. We read many scriptures, numerous scriptures, uh, making it crystal clear the importance of love operating in our lives. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, the sixth verse, you can just jot that down, we learned that our faith is activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. We explored the importance of our actions in the congregation of CCC New York. How are we perceived Are we perceived when people come through our doors as a loving place where people can experience the love of God and they feel the love of Jesus that's shed abroad in our hearts? We spend a little time talking about that and, you know, are we kind to our brothers and sisters in Christ or do we still need to grow in this particular area? Our assignment was to think about how we can be more effective in allowing our love, the love of God in us, to emanate. We want CCC New York to be known for having a loving environment. For those of us who are born again, we are children of the Most High God. We are made in his image and likeness. As he is, so are we. God is love. During part three of the series, we spent time studying the subject of gratitude. We talked about the wisdom of having a grateful spirit. Many people, especially the older and wiser ones, are truly grateful for the simplest of things. I shared some personal stories with you, proving even more why I am so grateful to God. We discussed how to use past challenges as experiential building blocks. How to take those experiential building blocks coupled with the spirit of gratitude and remember how God delivered you from your challenges before and how he'll do it again. We finished last time with your assignment being to start a gratitude journal. And I discussed that Journaling is something that's been around for many, many years, and I know that everybody... isn't necessarily an advocate of it, you know, where you're going to do it a lot because I know we have time constraints and everything. But the beauty of a smartphone, which just about almost everyone has now, well, of course, if you have the iPhone, their notes, I'm sure the Blackberry or whatever, everybody has some capacity where you can just jot down some things. And a gratitude journal doesn't have to take a whole lot of time. I'm not asking you to write a book or anything. But even if it's just a couple of lines, it will prove invaluable to you. I'm gonna share with you, I used to actually, and so this is why I know it can be done, because I have five children, and at one point they were all home and they were little children, and in 1996, they were kinda young. And I have a journal that I actually would sit and write pages. Only God knows where I found the time, but I did. And it is so, it's such a blessing to me to this day to go back and see from whence I've come and to see how I've grown in the things of the Lord. And not just that, it brings back to your remembrance some special little things. Like I will remember, and I'll share this with you because again, I can talk about myself. (laughs) Um, My birthday is January 6th, so... You know, I was just sharing with somebody else. When your birthday's near Christmas, either you just don't, you know, nobody really pays that much attention to it or so much attention is paid to Christmas that, you know. So this particular year of 1996, it was a little bit of challenge for us financially. There wasn't a lot of money in hand, so to speak. And we do have the five children. So I really kind of figured that particular year... I just, you know, it's my birthday. Praise the Lord and keep it moving. Well, my husband that year blessed me with a gift. And I don't even know if he knows how much that gift still stands out in my mind. Because he's blessed me with a lot of beautiful things. I am a very blessed woman. But this happened to be a little small jar of raspberry seedless jam and some specialty crackers with a card. The whole gift... Because then cards were even reasonable. <laughs> so the whole gift, I don't think, was $7. I mean, that's probably pushing it. It was probably under 5 But that gift meant so much to me. Because I knew it came from his heart. I knew that even that $5 was a sacrifice. And it stood out more than some other things that are really, really magnanimous, so to speak. So for me, I wrote all this down in the journal. So you see, I can look back at that. So when there's some times that it's like, oh, you know, where you just, you need to be encouraged, that's an experiential building block for me. So that's just an example of why I'm really just, I cannot exhort you enough to please start writing a journal because it's going to help you, um, you know, as you move forward. Now, through the series... We also, I also asked you to please be your authentic selves, meaning a lot of times, and even people in the body of Christ, they come in with their smile and, you know, all is well, and that's good because we're supposed to call those things that be not as though they were, but I want you when we're studying this information to really do it where it's you stripped down without all the, you know, painted makeup and everything looks cute and everything as well. Just your true heart and spirit. That's how I want you to really look at the things that we've discussed with this series. It's important that you do it because when you do it, you glean all that God has for you in it. Is that fair enough? Okay, good. So now let's move on to our final subject, which is operating in excellence. Now, as always, in an effort to make sure that we're on the same page, I want to define excellence for you. Excellence is a noun, meaning, the first meaning is the fact or state of excelling. And the second one, the second meaning, is an excellent quality or feature. Synonyms or words that are similar to Excellence may be superiority, class, distinction, eminence, fineness, goodness, greatness, high quality, merit, perfection, purity, quality, superbness, supremacy, virtue, worth. It's a noun that equals the utmost degree, superlative. Operate is a verb or an action word, and it means to work, perform, or function. It also means to act effectively, produce an effect, exert force, or influence. We want to always operate in excellence. Now, since this is a Thursday night Bible study, I consider those of you to be a little extra, extra special actually, that you're giving of your time to be here because you're really giving of your life because we don't get back the time once it's spent. Would you agree with that? Uh, (laughs) And I think you're extra special in that you're doing this because obviously you wanna glean more from the word of God. I liken you to the advanced class, if you will, in a typical school setting, or special forces in a military setting. So to that end, I believe you desire, and you always desire, to operate in excellence all of the time in every area of your life. How many of you would agree with my assessment? Okay, praise God. How many of you would also agree that God gave us the greatest gift of salvation through his son Jesus our lord and savior. Okay. God gave us the very best an indescribable gift. He gave us his son because he loved us just that much. Now when you think about it, really think about it with your authentic selves, how much God loves us, it's overwhelming. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 17 through 20. It's 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. And I'm going to be reading this out of the New International King James Version of the Bible. Do you have it? Okay. Okay. And verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, if we look at verse 20 in the Amplified, it says... So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. The Apostle Paul wrote these verses of scripture to the church at Corinth. Note that he reminded the Corinthian believers that all Christians, himself included, were ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador, so that we're clear, is a representative or spokesperson of a nation or its ruler. Those who follow Christ are commissioned as his messengers to an unbelieving world. Now, this is a little side note, since you guys are the advanced class in my mind. (laughs) Paul used the term ambassador only one other place in his writings. And that was in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and the 20th verse, where he referred to himself as an ambassador in bonds for the gospel. Now, if we are representing Christ we should obviously choose to operate in excellence. To further qualify our role, let's look at 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John, the third chapter, when you get there, hold your place there. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 out of the Amplified. And it says... See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us. That we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know, recognize, acknowledge us is that it does not know, recognize, acknowledge him. Beloved, we are even here and Now, God's children. It is not yet disclosed, made clear, what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when he comes and is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble and be like him. For we shall see him just as he really is. Now... I want you to turn with me to Romans 8. We're going to look at the 8th chapter. And we're going to read it together, starting at verse 14. So we're going to read Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. When you get there, let me know you have it. Okay, ready, read. For as many... As are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. Now let's turn back to 1 John, and this time we're going to look at the second chapter of 1 John, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 29 out of the Amplified. So 1 John, second chapter, verse 27 reads, but as for you, the anointing, the sacred appointment, the unction, which you received from him abides permanently in you so, then you have no need that anyone should instruct you. But just as his anointing teaches you concerning everything and is true and is no falsehood, so you must abide in, live in, never depart from him, being rooted in him, knit to him, just as his anointing has taught you to do. And now, little children, abide, live, remain permanently in him, so that when he is made visible, you may have and enjoy perfect confidence, boldness, and assurance, and not be ashamed and shrink from him at his coming. If you know, perceive, and are sure that he, Christ, is absolutely righteous. Conforming to the Father's will in purpose, thought, and action, you may also know, be sure, that everyone who does righteously and is therefore in like manner conformed to the divine will is born, begotten of him, meaning God. (laughs) Now, after reading these scriptures the way in which we've just done it, but you know what? Before I even continue with that, let's turn back while you're there. Well, you're not really there, but turn back to 1 Corinthians because I want to prove a point. So turn back to 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 and we're just looking at one verse, the 16th verse. And I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified and it says, do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, and it could be the whole church at CCC New York are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually. You should be starting to notice how scripture is pointing to the fact that when you are born again, translated out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you are really like him you ought to be identifiable as God's child. No different than the five children that God blessed my husband and me with look and act like us. Or you could tell a tree by the fruit it bears. If you go to an apple tree, you expect to see apples, not bananas, okay? Turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. So that's the fifth chapter of Matthew. And we're gonna look at verses 13 Through 16. And I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified. So this is Matthew 5, starting at verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything any longer, but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Based on the scriptures that we've read so far, I submit to you that as children of the Most High God, there is no question that we need to operate in excellence. Now, in my humble opinion, notice it's my humble opinion, to honor our Heavenly Father, it's the very least that we can do. The very least. Now, one must cultivate... A spirit of excellence. It's not something that just, you know, happens per se. Um, And for it to be really fully operational where you're using it 24-7 all the time, you really have to cultivate it and, and work with it. It has to be worked on until it becomes a habit. And even when it becomes a habit, you have to develop it into a disciplined habit. No one is perfect, however, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And nothing is left out of all, correct? So that means operating with a spirit of excellence, that's included, so we can all do it, right? Okay, now you guys can talk back to me, it's okay. (laughs) Okay, Um, so now this I have to share with you because this is something that I kind of caught on to as a young person, really young. I can't even, oh, I think I must have been in about fifth grade. And, um, boy, that was really a while. Anyway, um, an English teacher. And I'm sure a lot of you remember it because we talked about this once before a long time ago. English teachers used to always do this to help you edit your papers better. They would always give you the little adage, good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better best. So this way you didn't hand in the sloppy copy and think it was going to work, okay? They really wanted you to work on it. Well, for me... That does work with my writing, but I try to use it as something that I do in my day-to-day life. And for me, now, you could use something different. Again, I have to talk about myself because I can do that. For me, I find that it keeps me kind of... It it keeps me directed and disciplined into a spirit of excellence. Because when I think I've done something and it's okay, I have to then ask myself, okay, this was good, but can it be better? And if it can be better, then (laughs) you're not done yet. And it, it just keeps me going, and it's something that I do all the time. Now, I will say that some people that I have worked with for years don't like it, (laughs) and I think they've almost prayed that I could forget this adage and never use it again, and I laugh about it because I used to be a head teller at a couple of different banks, and I have been known and have a reputation of keeping a whole teller line of 20 tellers waiting for me to look for a penny. And I didn't care, because you see, good, better, best, good would be, okay, we can go home, we're within a penny. No, better, no best is to find the penny. So, for some people who don't necessarily follow this, it's very frustrating. But for me, I still embrace it, and I share it with you. If you think it'll help you, go for it. Definitely take it. I think it's a good thing. Now, think about it this way. If we here at CCC New York were to apply that adage of good, better, best to ourselves, how many ways do you think that it could better our church family. I mean, really, back to being your authentic self now. How do you think it could help our church family here? Do you think it would help our congregation, maybe, to grow a little bit in that when we have members, not members, not even members, we just have visitors come? And then, you know, do you ever wonder, okay, if they come, are they gonna come back? Or why are they not coming back? Is it something that maybe I could have done a little bit better? Or I could work on my better to get it best so that they wanna come back? Everybody's attracted to love, let's face it. But if there's something that they're not coming back, did it, did it ever make you question, well, is there something maybe I could do? Maybe I'm not operating as excellently as I could because I really want them to be part of you know, my church family. It's just something to think about. We have been blessed with our new pastor, but I submit to you that the growth of our church and the loving environment that we want to emanate does not rest upon his shoulders. He has responsibilities, of course, but we are ambassadors, not of Pastor Adams, but of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We need to work with our pastor to build the kingdom of God. Now, when we operate in excellence, there are some things that just automatically come into play. When you operate in excellence, you find that you're kind. You're courteous. Men open the doors for the ladies. And ladies, you smile and say thank you. And they, in turn, are happy to do it because you smiled and said thank you. There isn't so much grumbling and moaning and complaining. When you're given instruction, you're able to follow it. You may not always agree with it. You may not even always like it. But keep in mind, you're operating in excellence. It's a decision that you've made. Good, better, best. So if you're making that decision, Sometimes it means you have to just do it, (laughs) just be obedient. The other thing when you're operating in excellence is you do not judge. Now, we hear this all the time. We've heard it all the time. You know, even from the time probably you were a small child, judge not lest you be judged. But it's something that I find that people in the body of Christ still have to grow when it comes to this. And the thing that I help to keep myself in line with is, and you can jot this down, 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, and the 7th verse. In there, it specifically states that the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'm going to just, now this, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but it's a little sidebar for any of you who may be married and you may have some little challenging times from time to time. I mean, we're human, you may. If you can look at your spouse through God's eyes and not your own You will find that not only will you have a much better relationship, but you'll find that, oh, wow, you know, maybe I might have missed that or something. Because you see the person through his eyes and not yours. Because we are very, very limited and we don't see the heart the way God does. But we as believers in our church family, even if we could do that, just think about it. And that's something you can't answer tonight. But I want you to kind of meditate on that a little bit Think about it You know, has someone come in And even if you didn't say it out loud You might have been thinking Wow, I, I hate to tell you some of the things I've heard But I mean, you know, you may be thinking Hmm, she just wore that dress two weeks ago. Why does she have that on again? Or, boy, how come this and how come that? You don't know. You don't know. Everybody has a story to tell. Did it ever occur to you that might have been the only dress she had? You know, we forget sometimes. Like I, I, have, a, I have southern roots in my background. And therefore, we were taught all kinds of things, like if you're going to be a ditch digger, be the best ditch digger that there is to be. If you have just one outfit, whatever it is, wash it out at night if you have to, and you make sure it's pressed in. Oh, so y'all have heard that too? Okay, so my point is, that's actually operating in excellence. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you do it to the best of your ability. So when we see people come through our doors, we don't know their situation. What we are supposed to do is be offering that love and accepting them and being happy to receive them regardless of what we see. Because remember, we just look at the outward thing. God looks at the heart. So that's something we really all need to work on and grow with. And if you do nothing else, please don't speak on the situation. Because you know what? Every thought that goes unspoken dies unborn but once you open your mouth and you speak it you've given life to it so if you don't have anything good to say and this is a discipline you know I'm not perfect I'm still growing but it's something we all can work on just don't say anything the other thing is If you watch your words, which is a form of operating in excellence too, you would be amazed at how things in your life would change. Because sometimes, like we know, I think everybody pretty much has it down when it comes to sickness and disease. We don't sign for the package. We don't say we're sick. You know, we kind of got that. But we don't always think about the fact that, say your finances aren't exactly where you want them to be, okay? And, you know, you turn on the news and you hear about the recession and without consciously thinking about it, you may sit up and say, oh, yeah, well, I would like to get this for you. But, you know, I don't have the money or I can't afford this. Those seem very subtle, but those subtle things are creating the situation. So I'm not going to say I can't afford it. I stopped saying that years ago. My answer is I may not be getting it right now. Come back for it. Okay, because there's nothing. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hill, the earth in the fullness of thereof belong to him. So there's no way you are going to tell me I can't have this or I can't have that. I may just have to be a little bit more patient because it's seed time and harvest time being the, the, the operative word in there, but it doesn't mean I can't have it. Okay, so we have to be careful of just the things that we say. That's part of our excellence journey as well. You've got to be very careful with that. Um, Also, you've got to exercise your faith and don't be moved by your feelings. That's something I learned from Dr. Betty a long time ago. And when I first heard her say it, I was like, wow. (laughs) I mean, it just, it became Raymond to me right away. Of don't sink down to the level of your feelings. Perfect way. I I can illustrate it this way. We live far. We've always gone to church far away. So for some people who murmur and complain because it takes me a whole half hour to get to church. Are you kidding me? You have no clue. (laughs) Okay? But we can't, we don't sit and think about how long it takes or whatever. Because you want to know what? <clears throat> it does not matter. It really doesn't matter what you have to do. Nothing compares to Jesus stretching his arms and dying for you. So, you know, to quibble and complain, no. No. And you you just have to exercise your faith and work through some things. Work through the tiredness. I mean, you know, you'll get a chance to rest at some point. One of the things I used to do when my children were small and people used to think it very peculiar. You'd come to my house and there would be an alarm clock in my room. That's it. I mean, you'd look around, it's like you have no clocks. You know, people have beautiful clocks on the mantle and just a kitchen clock, you know, that's normal. I had none. And people were like, well, how do you know what time it is? My answer was the time that I'm finished with the task at hand is all I need to know about. I don't need to look up at the clock because at the time we had, let me see, I stopped working for, we had three going into four children. My husband was working two jobs. I was working. Um, And I always worked far away. I don't know. It's like, Lord, you just have me going on journeys. Because it would take me three hours in the morning to drop off the kids, get to work. I went to work in a whole other county, kind of far away, which is why I took three hours to get the kids there. I'd work all day, pick them up and then come home. A real funny story is my children for the longest time, I don't think they realized that um, they were not Chinese because (laughs) most of the time they ate Chinese food because I didn't want to give them like McDonald's. I just kind of felt guilty about that because it's like, this isn't good, but I can get you some vegetables and rice. That'll work. (laughs) And they literally ate Chinese food for years and The the people that own the restaurant, our kids kind of like grew up together. It is really funny. But you do what it is that you have to do. Good, better, best. McDonald's might have been good. The Chinese food I thought was better. But the thing was, I had a lot to do even after I got home. Because, you know, you still have to take care of your house, take care of laundry, do what you have to do. So if I sat there and looked at the clock and it's telling me the time, I would just be tired. And then I'd start probably speaking how tired I am. And once you do that, You know, that's it. Okay? So for me, the answer was just don't put a clock there. Just do what it is you need to do. And then, oh, I do that to a certain degree. Now everything's digital. So obviously clocks are everywhere. I ignore them. I can testify. I did it this morning. Because I had some things that I wanted to do for this. And my technology was not working for me. And I had planned on being in bed by 2 a.m. That was my plan. I actually didn't go lie down until 6 a.m., realizing that I was going to have to get up at 10 because I had to be here a little bit early. So, no dismay. It's like, okay, Lord, do your thing because this is what has to happen. The point being is, if you're going to operate in excellence, you don't pay attention to your feelings and, you know, woe is me. You just keep it moving. The other thing is we have to learn To pray and intercede. The thing I like about this is that it is so powerful. But a lot of people, I don't think, get plugged into the concept because it's so selfless. People don't come pat you on the back when you're interceding. You know, if I'm praying through someone who I know is going through a challenging time, they may not even know it. You know, nobody knows It's kind of like I don't, It's not lonely because you, you know, you get invested in it But a lot of people don't like to do it But I say to you, CCC New York Think about it If we all Took and you figure out what works for you Because God isn't asking you To do, you know, something ridiculous But even if you only took Ten minutes a day Ten minutes isn't a long time I, Better yet, I just can't Thank you Look at it this way. You take a shower. That usually takes at least 10 minutes, okay? While you're in the shower, intercede for our church. Because you take a shower, hopefully daily. Okay, so if you take a shower daily and you intercede for 10 minutes, just think of all of the barriers that are broken down just because you scheduled that time. It's not going to affect anything else you have to do because you got to take a shower anyway, right? So if we could just do something like that, that's good. Now we can work on getting it to better and then getting it best, but start somewhere because I, real, I know the power of intercession. And if we could do that, oh my goodness, it would be fantastic. There are many of you who are working on jobs and I hear sometimes I don't like my supervisor and I really got passed over for a promotion and they know that I'm good but they're just passing me over and how do I get that promotion well first of all all promotion comes from above but the other thing is you know you could operate in excellence and change your boss's mind for instance if you have to be to work at 8 o'clock what time do you get there did it ever occur to you to get there at 730 I mean, I know you may clock in at 8 o'clock, but what would happen if you got there at 7.30 or 7.45 to start your day, not rushed and harried? You could get there, have your little cup of coffee, cup of tea, get in a little extra time to intercede. Now you're taking it from good to better, okay? But the point is, bosses notice that, more importantly, God notices it because he realizes that you're doing a little bit more than what is expected. You can do it with any task even at work Um, or even any task where you volunteer. I remember when I started with the crusades. The biggest thing was we had to get the packets on the chairs. And I was like, okay, that's good. I I got through that. I did that. But what can I do to make this better? I mean, it's packets on chairs. But one of the things I noticed was they used to always talk about how when the respondents had to fill out the little card, the pens didn't always work well. The pens, you had to keep scratching them. So I was like, I'll get there a little earlier. I'll go through every single packet. I'll scratch every single pen so that when the respondent gets it, it works. It's like, okay, now how do I do better with that? I realized, okay, what I can do is make sure every packet is lined up as perfectly as possible so it doesn't look so messy, just like completely straight. And what made me think of that, you know how when you see commercials for the Marines they just look good? Do you ever see the Marines come out and their hats are half off and, you know, they just look like a sloppy mess? No, everything just looks correct. It makes you want to become a Marine. Well, I looked at it like I want people, when they come to answer the altar call, I want them to see these chairs and these rows perfect. It it just, it sets a certain mood, a certain stage. So I was like, okay, I can do that. I'm like, well, how do I get better? What do I do next? Okay. We used to do the Crusades and always Have someone minister in mass Because there would be such a massive altar call So one of the things I noticed was the person Used to always ask me for hand cream You know, because they don't want to look ashy They want to look nice So I was like, okay So I of course would give him my hand cream Then I was like, you know what, why don't I buy hand cream Just so that I can have it there for the person To make it easy Then I said, well, let me add a mint Because I figured after doing so much talking You might want to have a little mint And so I did that And now, again, I wasn't getting any feedback. So it wasn't like the person was telling me, oh, thank you, I think this is great. The person wasn't saying anything. So I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm overstepping my bounds or is this silly. Then one time I put a certain candy that was cinnamon there because I had run out of mints, And the person said to me, I love these candies. Where do you get them from? Now, this was back before a computer you know, well it wasn't before computer age but before I personally had a computer so I couldn't go I would go around all the little candy stores trying to find these cinnamon mints so, cinnamon candies rather so I could put them on the podium so then I figured well, how can I get better this, than that and I realized the packet you know the person wouldn't have to come in and take all the stuff out so I laid everything out so they just had to come in The packet was, everything was nice, the mint was there, the hand cream was there, everything was done. I set the stage and I was like, there's got to be something else. The last component was to go lay hands on every single one of those seats while praying in the spirit. And you want to know something? Nobody said anything. God saw it. But you know what was even more important to me? I got to see a difference in the altar calls came in and like that, they were receiving. It was such a blessing to me. And that's when I think I started to really, really intercede for the altar call. Anywhere I go, I intercede for that altar call. But all I'm trying to say to you is that led to me having the privilege of being able to serve with the altar counselors here. It led to me Standing here talking to you now. The point is you can start with the simplest of things. It may be that when people come into the sanctuary, you give them a million dollar smile. It doesn't cost you anything, but that thing that you do can make all of the difference to them. And I, I just want you to know that because you know sometimes people they want to be a part, they want to plug in, but they don't know how to do it. Everybody may not be ready. To be part of the ministry of helps. You know, you you may feel like I'm just not there yet. But you know what? You could still be somebody who could help out with a couple of hours a month. With whatever. We need hands to minister to people. Make yourself available and just help in any way that you can. That's operating in excellence. That's you giving honor to the most high God. The other thing is, husbands, wives, families, children, there are things you can do with that. One of the things that I used to do with my children was, okay, all five of us, all five of the children, and a lot of times Stan had already left in the morning, but we'd all stand in the kitchen in a circle and pray. They did not leave without the word being spoken over their lives. Now, I didn't have maybe everything to give to them monetarily that other people had, but I had the word and I had the love for that. And it's really humbling to me That I have a daughter getting ready to get her doctorate and my baby is getting ready to graduate with her undergrad. And an excerpt of that prayer, because the prayer was quite lengthy. But one of the things that I always prayed was that the Holy Spirit would bring back to their remembrance everything that they studied, learned, and needed to know. So that they would score high on any test or quiz bringing honor and glory to him. They say those exact words. And I just came back during Thanksgiving for... uh, We spent Thanksgiving with my um, daughter and son in Texas with the grandbaby. And my grandson goes to school. And he started going at three months. That's a whole other story. But to see my daughter pull him aside before getting ready to take him to school and pray with him... That for me was worth this good, better, best, never let it rest because it's a whole nother generation. So I just, the little things, it doesn't have to be something magnanimous that you do, but the little things, it makes a difference. And I promise you, God will honor it. The other thing you may find is you may have to separate yourself sometimes from people. And it's not because you're judging them, but it's because you want to keep that spirit of excellence operating in your life. Turn real quickly to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And we're going to read the 14th verse. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 14th verse. And I'll read it really quickly. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? It, if you, here's the thing that to me stands out in that more than the obvious whatever you yoke yourself to, you carry the burden of. So if you are believing for a dear friend, you know, they have a good heart, but they're just not quite there yet. And you know, they spend most of their time looking at, you know, some of the biggest foolishness that's on TV. And the next thing you know, they're talking to you on the phone and a little curse word comes out here and they're taking a little nip over here. And before you know it, You may be trying to help them, but you're yoking yourself to them and you're carrying all of those toxins with you. Sometimes you have to just separate yourself and pray for them from a distance. It's not that you're judging them, but you just need to give them some time and you can't take all that on you. So keep that in mind. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Sometimes you just have to so that your spirit of excellence can be in full operation. Now some people may say Okay, you're giving me these suggestions iva, But it's just too hard for me I'm just not happy I don't, I don't feel like doing all this it's just, It sounds too complicated My answer to you is something that Pascal, who is, is someone I, I like this quote And I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit But it's something that I always remember Happiness is neither within us Or without It is in our relationship with God So the point is, if you're serving God with your full heart and you love him, it's no big deal. You can do this. It's not really all that difficult. Let's look at Titus, the third chapter. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And I am going to read it out of the Amplified. Titus 3, verses 1 through 7. And it reads... Remind people to be submissive to their magistrates and authorities, to be obedient, to be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work, to slander or abuse or speak evil of no one, to avoid being contentious, to be forbearing, yielding, gentle and conciliatory, and to show unqualified courtesy toward everybody. For we also were once thoughtless and senseless, obstinate and disobedient, deluded and misled. We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures, wasting our days in malice and jealousy and envy, hateful, hated, detestable, and hating one another." But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior to man as man appeared, he saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done but because of his own pity and mercy by the cleansing bath of the new birth, regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit which he poured out so richly upon us through Jesus Christ our savior. And he did it in order that we might be justified by his grace, by his favor wholly undeserved. That we might be acknowledged and counted as conformed to the divine will and purpose, thought and action. And that we might become heirs of eternal life according to our hope. As it is written, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are joint heirs with him, making us royalty in a kingdom that is not of this world. Praise God. Through this series, he has taught us that he loves us so much that we don't need to walk around wounded in any area of our lives. We know that God is love. And as his children, we too must operate in love through our actions, words, purposing in our hearts to bring honor and glory to him. We've been reminded of the importance and power contained in gratitude. We choose to move forward operating in excellence. What we have gleaned through this series has better directed us where we do go from here. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212 749